Welcome, Welcome to Decision, Decision Space, Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jake. And this week we're tackling Magic the Gathering. How are you doing, Jake? Ooh, I am doing great, man. Uh, thanks for joining me here a little later than our intended thing so I could get outside. Um, yeah, no, totally happy to play some disc golf. It's amazing. I'm so excited. I, we've been anticipating talking about Magic the Gathering for so long, so I'm really excited to dig into it. But also, it's the time of year for outdoor games, so that's wonderful, too. I guess, quick, before we get to the synopsis, I know you're all anxious for our Magic the Gathering synopsis. How are we going to summarize 30 years of this game? But before we get to that, we have some housekeeping. First of all, we have a bunch of new listeners, and I just want to say thank you so much for for tuning in. We're so excited that you're that you're here. We Our podcast saw a huge bump this week, and if you're enjoying Decision Space so far, whether you've been with us since week one or if you came to the podcast this week. Thank you. And we'd love for you to share. We're still hoping to grow. So if you dig it, pass it along. Also, uh, because Jake and I have wanted to create a space where we could convene everyone who listens to Decision Space to continue the awesome conversations uh, after the show and allow listeners to contribute to the conversations. So officially this week, we're announcing that we're starting a Discord community for Decision Space. And if you're interested in joining that, Discord is sort of a... Uh, I'm sure most of you know what it is, but it's sort of like a IRC uh, Redux platform where you can have conversations on a slew of different topics. So we're starting one for Decision Space. It'll be in the show notes. Come discuss games with us. Yeah, I can't wait. It's definitely something we've wanted to do from the very beginning, but thought maybe we'd build up just a, a little bit of listenership first. Uh, so, so we're hoping that some folks will be in there to talk about games. And also, I'm excited to hopefully uh, use that as a place to organize some games on Board Game Arena and Yukata. So come, come play games with us, too. Perfect. Well... Throughout this episode, I'm going to do my best not to overrun the conversation with random Magic the Gathering card names. So with that, Jake, what's your synopsis? All right. Magic the Gathering is the greatest game ever. 10 out of 10 is what I would say if I was 12 years old. It's probably what I would say if I was 16 years old. Maybe 20 years old, but here I am, 29. I've experienced uh, a bunch of other games uh, besides Magic. And looking back at it, a little bit of time removed, there are a few things that I, uh, a few nitpicks I have with the with the game that I just can't totally overlook. I'm, I'm so of two minds about this game because... Uh, I've had so many amazing experiences. It's easily the most defining game uh, of my life. Um, but would I recommend it to somebody now having experienced so many more games? It's it's a harder sell. Uh, I'm ultimately coming down to it as a 6.5 out of 10. What? <laughs> It's a game I still love. There are, um, you know, if if, if a, a friend of mine has a booster box and it's like we're organizing a draft, come over, have a few beers, play Magic. Like I will be there. Like I'll be I'll be breaking the door down. But you know, I can't just like wholeheartedly recommend it to anyone. Super fair. 
Very fair point. Before I get in and respond to what you're saying, I'm going to read mine because it's the way we're supposed to do this. Richard Garfield's Magic the Gathering was a paradigm-shifting landmark release. It's a colossus of a game and somehow also one of the most nimble game systems in popular play today. Magic's ability to reinvent itself consistently over the course of the nearly 30 years since its inception is a tremendous achievement. Magic will be remembered as one of the most influential games of the 20th century and is a game that defies ranking. Mostly, it's just a whole lot of fun. What, and your rating? <laughs> no, it defies rating. Wait, what? <laughs> Dude, that's so unfair. <laughs> I can't rank it. I'm taking my rating back if that's the game we're playing. Only one of us gets the turn in the middle of our synopsis. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like one thing, so I really want to get into would we recommend this to other people, but I feel like we should have our discussion first and it will illuminate why maybe I feel like, no, I'm just going to get into it. Screw it. I'm wrong. I feel like, Jake, you're so right because there's so few people who I would recommend this to. But for the people who haven't played Magic, who I know would enjoy it, I think it, for me, it's like a 10 out of 10 recommendation. Like I want them to play it right away. But I think that because the game is at the point that it is 30 years on and so many people have played it, mostly people will know if it's a game for them or not. And like, I'm never going to say to someone who like is coming into the world of board games and like just experienced, like, I don't know, looking at my shelf, maybe like patchwork with me. I'm not going to be like, oh, now it's time to play the Magic the Gathering. Well, you're ready. <laughs> yeah. But with that said, I think that it's a game system that like, it's just incredible. I think it's one of the most amazing games ever made. I completely agree. And, and if, if you're sitting there and you're like, to me, Magic is a 10 out of 10 you're not wrong. Like I've been there. I've been for most of my life, you know, I was there. Uh, it's an, an incredible achievement. Like there is nothing like it, you know? So if, if that's the game for you and you want just endless cards to explore, like there, you know, you can't, there, there's a good reason why so many people who play magic. Don't play any other games. Yeah. I, I think to that point too, I, I'm going to bump around our notes a little bit here, Jake. I think to that point, one of the reasons why I think magic is a game that defies rating is because magic, the gathering is really mini games. It's, it's a shared rule set that tons of different games play it. And so by saying that, what I mean is there's a, a shared set of rules of magic, but falling into that, or you can play commander, you can play draft, you can play sealed, you can play constructed which falls into like either standard or vintage or modern or, can, you know, you could play different products like conspiracy or plane chase. And then there's like casual constructed like kitchen table magic or middle school magic, which was super casual for me and very competitive for you, Jake. Um, <laughs> but if you had to give like, I don't know, the, that rule set a rating, maybe out of 10, uh, what, what would you give it? <laughs> I defies rating. I think that the honestly, I think that the rule set of Magic the Gathering is one of its strongest points. And I, after playing Magic a, t a bunch growing up, and then walking away from the game for almost twenty years, and then returning to it, the thing that surprised me most about it was how strong the core game is, and how much it relies on things like bluffing uh, and sort of. Uh, we're donkey space, so the the space in games where it's I know that you're going to do X, so 
you think I'm going to do Y, so I'm going to do Z instead. It, it gets magic is a game that actually amplifies so many of these like really fruitful core game spaces in such a meaningful way. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't know about the game. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other quick caveat, and then we'll get into the game breakdown and the synopsis, is that Magic is a massive game. There's over 20,000 unique cards in the game of Magic the Gathering. And every set, there's been over 100 sets. I can't believe that. How many games have that, that much content? That seems wrong. That seems wrong. I counted it this sets. morning. So I counted crazy. it this morning. I know. It seems so wrong. If you count like core sets and then even, I'm not even counting like commander decks and that sort of thing. Someone might be like, no, you're wrong, Brendan. But I counted and I was like, what? That's just mind- it is mind-blowing. Yeah, it's huge. So obviously our discussion isn't going to speak to everything. And we're going to try to speak in really general terms, which ultimately, if you are a fan of Magic, your experience of this game is going to be different than our experience of the game because we've all experienced different pieces of it. So we hope you'll bear with us as we just try to address sort of what we feel is the heart of the experiences we've had with it. Yeah, that, that sounds great, man. And then I guess with that, just a quick breakdown. So we've sort of alluded to this, but Magic the Gathering first was released in 1993 by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, It was published by Peter Atkinson and designed by Richard Garfield. Uh, It was really the first TCG. So it took the trading card game aspect, uh, or it created trading card games. It took sports cards like baseball and basketball cards uh and it said what if you made a game out of these things and it it, that is what ushered in this sort of paradigm shift and i think we we take for granted how special that was and that's really a huge aspect of what helped usher in this modern era of friendly local game stores to some degree that these stores could rely on selling magic product and and holding magic events and that created a space for board games to show up in those stores i know the first place i ever saw Catan was in a store that i went to to play magic the gathering same here yeah like yeah and i d- definitely had that moment like what what is this what are it's these boxes people playing Catan uh at a table it's like like move we're trying to play magic <laughs> it's friday night yeah, yeah. so Dude, that's it, so true man and it's such it, a, I mean, like, such a good point. Like, for so many of those uh, friendly local game stores, it's like they exist to sell magic cards. Like, that is what is bringing home the bacon, so, which sadly a lot of people think is, is changing as MTG moves away from that model. But uh, it's probably not the time uh, or space for that kind of conversation. But, you know, it's just so weird to think of it. You're, you're absolutely right. Like, I was not thinking of magic going into this conversation as the incredibly innovative game it is because it's so old but it's still around and played and i mean it truly was innovative in in so many ways yeah and so foundational and i think we were only magic's going to cast a long shadow and it's very hard to uh, perceive a shadow when you're standing in it and we're we're still in the in the in the heart of magic i think for many years i i sort of when i wasn't playing thought that magic was on the downwards trend and was so wrong like when I played Magic was before the heyday. Like now is the Magic heyday. Yeah, I mean it's bigger than ever. I, I mean, yeah. ha- I think it was just really recently Has- Hasbro released their earnings, and uh, Magic brings in more money than like all their toys combined. Like their Incredible. toy department. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's a Magic company that sells toys. Totally. So if you're coming to this conversation, you're here because you know you like our discussions on board games, you haven't flirted with Magic the Gathering, you haven't played it because you always saw it as that sort of arcane game uh, from, from the 90s. 
we're going to go into a, a rule synopsis. It's going to be pretty, pretty high level because I cannot teach you all of Magic the Gathering in two minutes. It's impossible. Um, and I wouldn't want to. Part of Magic the Gathering is you get in and every card has its own rules text printed on it. And once you, once you have the bones, your deck builds out the body and it builds out the soul. So here we're going to slip into the rule synopsis give you a really high-level overview, and I promise if you've never played Magic before, it'll give you enough that you can ride through the conversation with us. I can't believe you didn't rate it. I said 6.5, <laughs> and then you just don't rate it at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know that was an option, man. <laughs> I struggled so hard. I was like, is it a six? Is it a 10? Is it a five? Is it a nine and a half? You know? In Magic the Gathering, players take on the role of planeswalkers, powerful magic users able to traverse the many unique planes of the multiverse. As planeswalkers, players do battle with one another, drawing mana from the land around them, casting spells, utilizing artifacts, and summoning creatures, all depicted on individual cards drawn from each player's personal deck. Players begin a game of magic with seven cards in hand, and at the start of each of their turns, following the first turn in the game, the active player draws one new card from their deck. Each turn, players may play one land card from their hand to the board, and then utilize any lands they control in play to add mana to their mana pool, which may then be used to cast spells, summon creatures, or do any number of actions on their turn, and occasionally casting spells in response to their opponent's actions on their opponent's turn. During each player's turn, they may also attack an opponent using summon creatures. The opponent then decides how to resolve the attacks, either taking damage directly or utilizing their own creatures to engage in blocking the attacking creatures. A player defeats their opponent typically, but not always, by reducing their opponent's starting life total to zero. In Magic the Gathering, there's so many rules that live on individual cards, so it's best to just hop in and get going with the game. I definitely encourage you, if you're interested, to take a quick look at gameplay online or even glance at uh, a rule set on BoardGameGeek. But that's Magic the Gathering. Awesome. So hopefully that helped ground you some in the game. And I think it's important going to this conversation that you have a sense for Jake and I's background with the game. Do you want to talk about your history with Magic, Jake? Sure. Um, definitely check out our episode on competitive play for just like a more general background. But the, the really brief is I played Magic at what I would consider competitive level um, in middle school and high school. Uh, and, and before that, I was playing casually with friends, I think even as early as like six years old, literally. Mm, uh, wow. And I, have, I have memories of, you know, in some of the old, old sets of magic cards, uh, the lands have printed on it, like tap, add a land. And we would play like that meant like search your deck to get a land. Like we were playing wrong, like not knowing the rules and like still loving magic at that age. Um, and I mean, I mean, it's a really important game to me, I think, like. As I was, you know, a kid, literally like forming my identity of who I am, like magic was a big part of that. I, uh, you know, spent a ton of time in my formative years uh, at, at Magic the Gathering stores, at Magic the Gathering tournaments. Um, and, you know, there I, I have just so many memories, good, bad, like, like literally sobbing because I'm like missing like uh, the 
top cut of a tournament by like one round as like a 10 year old like you know achieving wins at my first friday night magic like a time a buddy ripped off a bunch of my cards uh you know part of my collection um i you know to to connecting with people over magic in college like way later in life like people you know on the ultimate frisbee team with me who you know i didn't know as gamers and then i you know walk into the hotel room at tournament they're on the floor playing magic it's like you guys play magic like sick like you got an extra deck you know it's it's, so it's like always been a part of my life uh and you know it it, so for that like it's always going to be something i look back on incredibly fondly yeah that's so awesome at some point, not in this podcast, I need to hear the story about your friend ripping off your cards. Because I feel I, like I feel like that's like a quintessential magic story. So wait, did he rip you off in a trade? Is that what you mean? No. Well, no, no, no. It was like it was like he a bunch of us were at playing competitively were like sharing cards, like sharing collections, and he like sold off a bunch of stuff that like oh. wasn't and like disappeared, like burned to burn bridges and. You know, that there were like hurts. there were like five or six people that was you know we were all like trying to pooling your cards, pooling yeah. cards, trying to build decks, get a get a gauntlet going because we were really you know seriously like grinding, trying to make the pro tour at that time. Um, yeah, so that's, so that's you know there there are grimy people in the world in any hobby, but yeah. I feel like that's unfortunately kind of a common thing with magic, whether it's that or somebody yeah ripping you ripping off a kid in a trade or whatever. Like I'll give you this like. 8-8 eight, eight creature for that, like, you know, Black Lotus. <laughs> I think <laughs> that Magic definitely... So I played Magic a, more casually than you in middle school. So the first time I remember experiencing Magic, one of my my childhood best friend, Jonathan, uh, came over and he's like, my friend Kevin, who is both of our mutual friends, his older brother taught us this game. You're going to love it. And I was like, okay, we'll see. And we sat down on my ottoman, we knees on the floor, uh, and he handed me a 7th edition starter deck it had arrow elemental on the start so it was like blue and he was playing one with this card on the cover of the box called draken no i now i don't even remember draken blackblades from is older but it doesn't matter we sat down he taught me the game and i was like this is incredible i don't even understand it but i love it it's amazing um and i played magic very casually in middle school so from probably the time that i was 10 until 14 or so um his dad started playing with us we had a group of friends at school where we would all play over lunch before school uh whenever we could like fit a game in, we'd do it and the we were just playing with whatever cards we had so we played with cards ranging from like unlimited cards back in the day all the way up to like the current set starting with invasion then odyssey and onslaught um those blocks that's like the meat of what i was playing and it was so fun when someone would bring a new deck usually people who had older siblings and they had discovered cards in a closet that they were allowed to borrow and we were like what what is this card this is ridiculous um so i I had a really similar experience. And I also, as a game designer, I think uh, I spent a lot of time. I was also a single child, spent a lot of time building decks that I thought would be interesting to play against each other and then seeing how they played. Um, So I spent a lot of time on the floor of my bedroom, like just building decks and then trying to play the decks against each other. Just like so much fun. Um, It's hard to imagine me like doing that now, though. Now I just design prototypes and then play them by myself. So not that different, actually. Uh, but yeah, Magic, it, it blew my mind. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in a lot of ways. And I'd seen the Pokemon trading card game before, and I just thought this was like more complex, more interesting, 
Uh, I don't know. So yeah. I think that's a good good background for us. But now we're going to do the impossible, Drake. And I'm going to ask you to go first. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Can you characterize the decision space of Magic the Gathering? Like, what's its size? What's its shape? How does it feel playing the game? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, it's a big question. So, you know, we're constraining this to, like, playing the game. Nothing, like, we're not talking, yeah. like, decisions you're making, building your deck, or even in a draft. Like, when you're actually <laughs> shuffled up, you've drawn seven cards, uh, and, and you're staring across from the opponent. I feel as though the, the this decision space is very frequently small, like m- much smaller than I think um, other games that we've covered on on this podcast, um, because like the the constraints of the game uh, are extremely significant, right? Yeah. On on your first turn of the game. You know, you you your options are are very small, uh, right? You're playing a land, and that's more than likely it. I mean, there's ex- uh, it's. I was gonna say like there's exceptions to that, but like just to know that throughout this conversation, there's an exception to everything, everything. we say because like it's, it's magic is crazy like that. So just like I'm just gonna put that like ask just put that asterisk after every single sentence and we'll be good. But you know, so it's like you've got some lands. Um and and then everything you're doing is so, you know, reactionary to mm. the inputs of what you have in your hands and what your opponent is doing that I feel like that constraining element of the game rarely uh leads to a decision space uh, that that feels like extremely robust uh, to to like what what is normal in modern day like kind of Euro style games that we're familiar with. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like I I totally understand where you're coming from, and I I can't disagree with anything you've said at all. Um, I think the important distinction too is that we're discussing in characterizing the decision space once you've shuffled up your your hand of cards. But I do think that there's a few things. I think that there's, uh, on average, fewer um, decision points, but I think the consequence of the decisions that you're invited to make are very high. Uh, It's a game where every decision that you can make in the game really, really matters. So I think that though you probably have ultimately like a, a more constrained decision space, the the consequence of the choices feels so meaningful that on an emotional level, it's really exciting because the feedback is really direct. You generally know when you made a bad choice in this game um, and that allows you to improve. And then also, I think Magic is a game that does a really good job of growing its decision space dynamically over the course of the game. Um, the land system does this. It, it creates... Um, dynamic growth of the decision space and that it gates the the decisions that you're allowed to make based on how much mana you have. Um, and on turn three of the game, you might have three lands or you might have one. On turn or you five, might have zero. Or you, hopefully not zero. <laughs> hopefully you mulligans. Um, and I do think, I don't know how much we want to talk about like mulliganing, but I think that you talked about, so you shuffled up your deck cards, you have seven. The yeah. fact that you can mulligan in this game is so important to me from the decision space because it creates a really high degree of agency. Um, and the the modern mulligan rules that you like shuffle up and then you draw seven again and then you put one right. 
you put it back on the bottom. So good. I love that. Um, and I wish that more actually board game sort of hobby style card games had hand sifting mechanics like yeah, that. Why, why don't they, why don't all games have that? It's just such a good mechanic. Exactly. It makes even there's a chance when you mulligan, right? You start at seven cards. So mulligan means you go down, you go down to six, but in magic, you get to look at seven. Then you put one on the bottom. There's a chance that like, Oh, you went down to five. You don't go past five. If you go past five, you're going to lose probably like you almost always. Um, but I still think that agency is really important. We've talked yeah. so much about how, Sometimes it's more important that players feel like they're in control rather than the consequences of their choices really mattering. And I think magic does a good job of that. Yeah. I th- and I, I agree with what you're saying, like about the, the word you use is like, it's exciting. Um, and I agree, even though I feel like the decision space awesome often feels small, it's always exciting some way or another. And I mean, I think that is like this, that excitement and drama present on every turn is like, responsible more than anything else for like the staying power of magic um and and that's at all levels of the game too uh do you want to respond to that well very quickly i guess we'd be remiss not to mention the fact that the other thing that's amazing about magic's decision space is how different it is every time every player is coming at the game with their own equipment their own cards their own deck and every time the deck gets shuffled it's different so every decision space in magic even if they're similar is functionally probably pretty unique yeah i mean absolutely um yeah and i think the other thing you said that i agree with is like the dynamic decision space um which is you're you're right it, it grows over the course of the game right I mean, we both agree the decision space is small at the beginning and then uh theoretically it, it gets bigger and bigger though you know there are exceptions blah 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 uh, but the other thing i think that is maybe worth talking about too is the dynamic nature of the decision space is also it's dynamic based on like your own knowledge of the game um i think this is kind of like a little bit of a tricky bit because if you're just like get a starter deck of magic and you get two and you're playing as somebody else who's new to the game uh that decision space is going to be a lot smaller because you don't know what is the other deck is capable of doing besides just like the very broad strokes where, you know, competitive level players are spending time, you know, memorizing every card in a set. If it's like a limited style tournament or, you know, no, they know every major archetype that is, could is likely to show up at a tournament, like what those decks are trying to do and the decision space of like, okay, these are the tools I have these are the tools I'm assuming my opponent opponent has. Like they have these lands untapped. So like these are the cards I could potentially face. And then trying to find, you know, I think a lot of times, I don't, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but a lot of times like the game at its best is players trying to identify their win condition and, and their path to victory. And like when you're doing like cutting through all of this information that you have, the game feels so rich and rewarding but it like the uh, learning curve, right? Like the barriers to get there are, you know, steeper than in any other game in existence, I think. Yeah, definitely. I sense I developed an interest in game design and like I've always been interested in some level, but 
I've gone back and there's some part of me that's always been really tied to magic has really been interested in the game, even when I haven't been playing it. And there's something that Richard Garfield has said about magic since the beginning, since before he even conceived of it, uh, or as he was conceiving of it, he always wanted magic to be a game bigger than the box. So, so you get the game and the game that you own, the game that you bought, uh, there's so much more to discover. And I think that what you're speaking to ultimately is probably the greatest strength of magic is it's a game that can be as big as you want it to be. It can also be as small as you want it to be, right? Like my wife so lovingly, though she is 0% interested in magic, bought me for Christmas four Jumpstart packs. Jumpstart is the set where you open a pack, you shuffle two of them together, and then you play. Um, so she bought those for me. We played on Christmas. To her, magic is just was just that. Um, and it was, it was fun. She enjoyed it. And she was like, maybe we can play again in a future year. But until then know that this was your gift and we will not be playing magic again. And I was like, great, this was lovely. Thank you so much. But it's a game where, right, so we could just play the current set. We could play an even larger set that looks at 10 years of cards, or we could play sort of formats or where it's Whatever. every card ever. And to your point, Jake, like you can make the the possible decision space by what how you choose to play almost as big as you want it to be. Right, that's such a good point. Like, uh, you know, that whatever decision space you're looking for in a game is present in magic. If, if you can find the people to play with that are interested in, in, in having that experience with you. Totally. Do you think though, I know we, our discussion of decision space wasn't sort of taking into account all of the sort of deck building decisions yeah, and yeah, yeah. The, the decisions bigger than the game. What if we just speak to that really quickly and sort of like, what are, if someone hasn't played magic before, like what are the decisions that you're actively making in that Richard Garfield actually calls this the metagame. And I think Modern gaming has gone on to use the word metagame as like a, a very different thing, right? It's like the competitive choices that players actively make and what's considered good or bad in a game system. But Richard Garfield actually, in the way that he used to use the word metagame, met like all the stuff you do in the game that's outside of the game, which I think is really interesting. Um, but maybe we can sort of talk people through what we think are the most interesting sort of levers that players have it's so hard because like you said, this is a, a conversation of exceptions, but maybe if we were talking just like one set in like limited or constructed, like what you're sort of doing and the sure. consequences of the color pie and okay, the speed of your deck. Let's do it. So like ideally magic has three types of decks. There are aggro decks, there are control decks and there are combo decks. And the way these decks interact with each other is uh, the aggro deck is is really fast. So it can beat the combo deck before the combo deck is able to like set up it, whatever it's trying to do to win the game. So it keeps that in check. Uh, but control decks are really good at, you know, destroying creatures, slowing down the game uh, and stopping what the aggro decks want to do. So the control is there to keep the aggro decks in play. And then finally, of course, the combo, the the control decks, they take a long time to win the game. So the combo deck has time to set up their combo to win the game before the control deck does, creating a game of rock, paper, scissors, which, you know, at its most ideal is really what you want to have in any given format, because then there's no one dominant strategy and theoretically any any kind of deck that you want to play can be viable totally and then layered on top of that the variance of magic means that 
even though it does have this sort of RPS system, it doesn't always mean that the aggro deck is going to lose to the control deck. Right. Or the combo deck, in your words. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I I mean that but I mean on that's, average. That's definitely true. Um and I think like the the game I always want to compare Magic the Gathering to is poker, like Texas Hold'em in in, in a lot of ways. And like in Texas Hold'em, if you the 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 famous game of poker, I probably don't need to explain it, but uh if you have pocket aces and you go all in pre pre-flop against somebody that has 2-7, you can still lose the pot and go home if 2-2-7 comes up, even yep. though the odds were heavily in your favor at the beginning of the game. And I think that's a, a good example of like what a lot of magic kind of meta games come down to is that one of the two players is going to be heavily advantaged at the start of the game based solely on the contents of their decks, but there are ways to influence the outcome of that game inside of that one of the ways is variance the other other uh potential option is is outplaying your opponent which which is similar to poker you know you could get the is to fold if you have the two seven and because of the level of consequence of the decisions in the decision space there's really meaningful differences between making the right decision and the wrong decision at certain inflection points in the game you really can outplay your opponents in a game of magic right and a lot yeah and a lot of times it comes down to being better at identifying what role you're playing in the game. It, it's yeah. not always, you know, you're not, you don't write aggro on the back of your card Dex. sleeves. Right. Um, and, and a lot of times just by virtue of the, of the cards that come up for uh, different players within that one instance of the game, you know, you could play that game a hundred times and nine in 99 of them, one person is playing the aggro trying to, you know, race to the victory. Uh, but in in that one out of a hundred match, just by virtue of the cards and the order they came up, it actually makes sense for the other person to be going on the the aggressive strategy. We we call it the beatdown in Magic Gathering. Um, and and there's a, a really if for those interested, there's a, a seminal article on Magic strategy called I think Who's the Beatdown? That that's about this very concept where you know it, it uh, talks about how a big skill separator in magic is identifying like who is the one that's supposed to be attacking to essentially rush to the end game. And one of the thing that things that makes that so interesting too, like you were saying, Jake, is you don't always we're kind of pivoting from like limited or pre-constructed the metagame aspect. But one of the things that makes that so interesting is you don't know what's in your opponent's deck. You can make, if you know the meta, you can make logical guesses about what's in their deck and what their deck composition is going to be, but you don't know. And if you're playing limited, limited is a is a way of playing magic where you uh, either get a set of multiple packs and you build a deck out of that pool, or you're playing a draft where you're opening packs, passing them, picking cards out of them. It's really fun because all the decks sort of look differently, but regardless, no matter how you're playing Magic, you don't know what's in your opponent's deck, so you're making logical guesses about the information you've been given so far, the cards that they've played, the cards that you think a deck like theirs might play in the given format. Um, and for me, that's part of where Magic really comes alive. Um, is it so much based on like making, you're trying to make the best guess that you can. Um, but I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And like the, of course, the caveat there is like, this is like 
you know, we're, what we're talking about is like competitive play to like yeah. a, a large extent, right? Like if if you're somebody at home who, who who's interested in this podcast because you like board games and, and having a shelf of board games to play with your friends, like, you know, if you go buy a starter deck of magic to play or, you know, or, or even a box to do a booster draft at, at your house, which I mentioned is, you know, a really fun thing to do. Like you're not unless everyone does a lot of research ahead of time about the kind of cards that are in that set and tries to memorize them, like you're just not going to have that experience. So like the barrier to entry is just so high, but you know, I, I do agree. Like when I was invested in it to that level and, and at the tournament scene, like I, I would have told you like, no magic is like, it's the most skill intensive game there is. And I think, you know, I mean, to, I think to some degree, I might still agree with that just because of the, complexity that exists in the game with 20,000 unique cards. Totally. And even when you're not playing with 20,000 unique cards, if you're playing like limited with 350 unique cards, it's still a lot to take in and to learn and to think about. Yeah. It's like, you can't really realistically have that experience unless you're all in on magic. And that's a hard thing to recommend. Will you really quickly, Jake, talk about the, color pie and the mana system and like what is what is that and that's like one of the the hearts of magic the gathering as a game and i think it's an aspect of the game that people don't necessarily always appreciate if they haven't played so so like what is it what does it do i i don't know what you want me to where you exactly want to go with this but just to uh when you say color pie the what i'm thinking of is there's five main color five exclusively five colors there are only five colors in magic and each um i'm trying to think in other board game terms like like this would be like the the faction color and so there's blue red green white and black and there are while not all red cards function the same like there are themes that tie each of these different colors together so as you might expect Red is 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 the color of fire, so they have like a lot of like direct damage, aggressive strategies. White is healing and, and defense. Black is like death, so they have like drain life. They have um, creature destruction, creature destruction, like you know d- packs, right? Where it's like pay a cost to get some benefit. Uh, blue is like is like the illusion trickery so they have, Counter. they have like counters yeah they have like countering other strategies that's that's a huge part of blue drawing cards blue is like notoriously the strongest set in in magic history because uh you know i guess when the game was first designed they didn't realize that drawing three cards was just like a little bit better than gaining three life <laughs> uh, they do they do and then and then last is uh green which is like the the big creatures uh i I think of uh they all it's also like uh verdant growth uh so they help you get out lands they help you grow grow your creatures uh by giving them like bonus power and that type of thing and and also spawning out different like like separating tokens so i think green is is associated with like growth and power totally Um, and then there are all kinds of ways that magic, these colors interact uh, to the point where, you know, people who are very familiar with magic know that uh, cards that are both green and red are called gruel, like the gruel house. And those have their own slightly different identity that combines 
green and red aspects. And that's true of all color combinations. And even if you were to go to to three colors, those are all named as well. Uh, like blue, white, red, I believe is like Jeskai, how, you know, faction. And, and that's going to be its own separate identity that pulls in from all three. So like all of those are named, um, ha- have special identities. And one of the fun things about that is like as a player, you can kind of, make choices about like who you are express yourself and play style through the game by picking colors and strategies within those colors that uh, fit to you as a player. Totally. And I, that the customizability is something we haven't touched on and I don't think we need to dive into too much, but I do think it's one of the greatest strengths of magic. And I think also what I was speaking, you did a, that summary was awesome. And to add to it, the color pie, you you sort of touch on this, like different colors are good at different things in the game. So every color is associated with a different type of mana, a different land associated with it, right? Forests, islands, mountains, swamps, etc. And to play the cards associated with the color, you have to have the lands associated with that color. So to play more colors, you have to add more different types of lands, which means you're adding more variance into your deck. But because different colors have different strengths and weaknesses, Magic is a game that gives players control over the decision, do I want to have the a palette of a deck that has answers to everything, but has higher variance because I won't always have the mana to cast the spells in my deck? Or do I want to play a deck uh, that's just one color, so I'm always going to have at least the color of mana that I need to cast the spells in my hand, but I won't always have answers to all the different types of threats that my opponent's deck will have. And I think that's where the color pie of magic is so interesting because it puts this incentivization in the way that players choose to play of, okay, I could just play black, black, red, but I'm going to have a really hard time dealing with other players at enchantments. Or I could just play green But if I just play green, if I don't have creatures on the board, I'm going to have a really hard time dealing with my opponent's creatures. And this is something that's been developed over the course of the game, but it makes the decision space, uh, it it creates this sort of like core um, risk reward to how you approach building your deck where players can choose how much variance they're comfortable with or really where they want their variance to be. Do they want their variance to be in matchups or do they want their variance to be in, in their draw? Right. Yeah. And I think the, you, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with magic, you might be thinking to yourself like, okay, well, why don't I just use all the best cards from all the different colors? I'll use the best creatures and the best creature destruction and the best counter spells. Uh, and, you know, Matt, to that, like magic has this uh, really interesting risk reward element to building your deck. There, you absolutely can do that. There's nothing stopping you, but you have to draw the right lands out of your deck in order to uh you know have the resource available to play those cards so the more different colors you're trying to incorporate into your deck uh the more uh unlikely it will be that your um base of lands will be able to sustain that so that you'll actually be able to play the cards uh that you want when you want to play them because if you draw green blue and red cards but you drew the white and black lands out of your deck, then you've got a bunch of duds and nothing to do with them. And then you get to blame your deck for like mana screwing you and being bad, which I actually think is one of the strengths of magic is that it lets players hide behind its variants. Um, When 
ultimately in a lot of games where players lose, they probably could have made decisions that would have helped them win with less variance. But before we or, to- or in or in before the game started, right? Like so yeah. often, right? Oh well, you 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 might feel like you got unlucky, but maybe you picked a deck that was just not suited for the decks present in that event. Totally. Uh, yeah. So a lot again, I think just to put a finer point on it, like I, I still feel like the decision space on any given turn when you're actually playing the game is quite small. You are working towards a bigger decision space, but there is an enormous decision space in magic. It's just those decisions are taking place often like at, at a level beyond that decision you're making on your turn. It's how did you even get here? <laughs> In some ways, it's kind of like uh, talking about the flavors in food. Like any given game of magic is like eating one meal, right? Like there's so many flavors contained in it, but the the flavors in food generally or the decisions in magic generally are massive. But when you sit down at the table, you know, your meal overall is probably going to trend in one direction or or what you're eating, your dish is going to trend like, oh, this is trending sweet. That's such a, I, I, I didn't know where you were going with that at all. I'm not going to lie. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I think that makes sense. Like, like you can have a bad meal, but it doesn't mean you don't like food. <laughs> yeah, totally. And if you don't like a flavor, there's tons of other flavors in the decision space. There's tons of other flavors to to try. Right. You're just not going to get much of it in any one yeah. game. Totally. And I wow. think that this is a really natural point. I, color, pie, pie, food. What? <laughs> it, was, it was all along. <laughs> this is the longest con. Um, I kind of feel some uh turbulence coming on the chick i can hear it in your voice is that because you mentioned land (laughs) (laughs) well yes the this is going to be a good discussion but that is because i mentioned lands and i know that that's that's get the let's jump into it oh this is your captain speaking we are now approaching a little bit of turbulence please return to your seats and buckle your safety belts Okay, so as I mentioned in my synopsis, like there are like this magic is amazing. Like I can't, I feel like I can't say that enough, especially now that I've said it was a six point five out of ten. <laughs> and and if I don't say that a few more times this podcast, like I'm gonna get some angry emails. Um, but like there, it is a flawed game by modern game standards to me, and I think a huge reason for that is that a large percent of games end up being non-games because of variance by that i mean you do not draw out of your deck the amount of lands that you need to play an actual game of magic because you don't draw enough and therefore like there's nothing you can do you can't play your cards or you draw too many in which case like there's nothing you can do because you have no cards to play or one of those two things is happening to your opponent while you're able to play a game of magic. And, you know, I don't know what, how often that truly happens, but it is, I do believe it, it is frequent enough that any modern game that came out that had that same percentage of non-games would be panned to hell. They'd be like, it would be completely unacceptable. That that's <laughs> I, I can I think you don't necessarily agree. So 
It's not that I don't agree. Well, I do disagree, but I totally. It's not, un- <laughs> it's not that I don't agree. It's that I disagree. <laughs> I I think that this point is really valid, and I think that what you're saying as someone who played magic for a really long time, as someone who is really invested at the end of the day, the amount of time you put into the game too often when it mattered, you felt like you didn't have agency and that's a failure of the game. And in, in often those are in game. I feel, I feel like when I say that it could come across as though I'm like saying, well, like obviously I'm noticing more of the games where I feel as though I got unlucky. That's a very human and typical thing for people to do. But I think like by the same side of the coins, like a lot of times people don't recognize enough the times that like they were the lucky ones and they are sitting across the table from someone who is having that negative experience. And you're just like, whatever, like I won, so I'm happy. <laughs> but totally but no, like, that's not acceptable either for from a game design perspective. I think it is. I I think that when Richard Garfield set out to make magic, he wasn't setting out to make chess. And I think that the level of variance in the game means that it's relatively easy to find opponents because I can play games with people who are significantly worse than me and we can still have an interesting game, even if I'm going to win much more often than not, because I'm going to lose sometimes. And this is a personal taste thing, right? Like everyone has a degree to which they're comfortable losing a game that they're better at than the other player because of variance. But I think that the, for me, the mana system, so many cards, magic came out in 1993. And I think the next 20 years of, of, games in this style, dueling card games, were a response to the magic, to the mana system. And I have played a bunch of those games and I think I've come down on if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like the lands are evocative. They're interesting. They create dynamic gameplay. So many people are like raging at me right now and like shaking their table. And like, I get it. This is not a game type that is for everyone, but I think the benefits of the mana system and the variance, the the variety of decision spaces that it creates, the opportunities for risk reward that it creates on turn three, I might have a choice between two different cards that I could play, right? Like, and if I draw my fourth land, I, I don't have a fourth land in hand, could really impact that decision. And I have to take a meaningful risk on that term to say, do I think I'm going to draw the land I need or am I not? And I think that all of those things create a really interesting play space. And I, I totally get it, Jake. And it's such valid criticism. But I think as someone who played Magic for a long time, played a ton of other card games, and then has come back, I think the mana system is one of the best parts. It makes every game feel different. And it sucks when it feels bad, but it does so much good. I'm, I'm going to come back on you a little bit because I don't agree with your point that like you can just play magic easily with somebody at a very like a vastly different skill level and engagement. I think like while yes, like you could get mana screwed one way or another. Sorry, I shouldn't say mana screwed. I think that's like not really a great term, but you could get like bad mana and um, one way or another. And the, the other person wins, but that's not gonna be a fun experience. I mean, yeah, okay, like you, you've won, but you're not like actually engaging with the game, and and also like because of the um, incredibly high barrier to really play, like we talked talked at length about to like know what cards the other person can have, like you're 
going to be playing a different game than they are. Like I've tried to teach magic to a lot of people over the course of my life and had really very little success with anyone with the exception of people that were like, I want to play magic. Like, will you teach me how to play? Right. It's like, if if they're going to take that initiative, they want to do the burden, like take on that burden to like learn all this stuff. Then like, awesome. Like that can happen. But I just don't, I just don't agree that like, because that variance, and again, like I'll go back to poker, like in poker, the best player in the world can lose to the, to the worst player by bad, by, you know, just variance. Um, but the significant difference is there is like after, you know, five minutes of explaining how to play, both people are aware of the universe of possibilities at a level that is just not the case in magic. So while you know the end result is could be the same in magic versus poker with, with the the worst player coming out on top i feel like it's much more acceptable in a game like poker than it is in magic such good points i will say i think that there's a spectrum so you're so right that like you can't just sit down and be playing like a, a really rich game of magic with someone who's not close in skill level but i think the variance tightens it it makes this number of skill chains that you can play uh the the sort of levels of skill chains above you that you can play larger than a game like chess but um also the variance of when you don't have the right mana is a spectrum the games at the very edge do feel horrible and you're not really playing the game and that sucks but there's also a whole swath of game types in that range where maybe you miss a land drop here or you miss a land drop there but you can make interesting decisions and recover that lead to really interesting games i would argue and then also to your point, yeah, magic is is really complicated uh, and really complex. And teaching someone the rules, it's easier to teach someone the rules of chess than it is to teach someone the rules of magic. But I think it's easier to teach someone how to play magic than it is to teach someone how to play chess. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think like like to actually know the rules of magic is like you have to like go to like school for that and like pass tests. <laughs> like totally. The last thing I'll say about in, in in this turbulence and it, it's sticking with the land point which is that like okay so magic is like a predatory model that makes tons mm. of money by like selling products where you know they're sealed products so i don't i don't want to like go into depth about that about how like you know it's like playing up people you know like gambling tendencies to, like want to gamble and like take risks because make bad choices to, to like buy this sealed products because it could be this like really expensive card when like more than likely it's gonna be you know not 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 what you want which will encourage you to buy another pack in the hopes that you get that like really good card um but because lands and the reason this plays into lands is is because like there aren't just islands mountains swamps forests and plains in the game but there are better lands that that account for multiples of those uh there are there are all kinds of of lands that that can function as as two two of the five uh so if you're playing a deck that has more than one color in it like you you want to use these better lands and those are often uh, some of the most cost prohibitive cards in the game, which just like is weird because it's the most like, you know, like you literally need these to play. And it's just like, to me, it's like the epitome of like the uh, rich kid problem as Richard Garfield himself put it with magic, which is that like a lot of times 
like you can just buy better variants than somebody else in magic. And that I think is worth mentioning. Uh, and, and it was honestly like when I played competitively as a kid, I wished I could have engaged in that rock, paper, scissors of the meta game and, you know, chose the deck, but instead I was exclusively playing the cheapest viable strategy because that was the only thing I could afford, which honestly, and and the fact that I could afford any of those is uh, just demonstrates like how incredibly privileged I am that like my parents spent hundreds of dollars uh, every, you know, month for me to like play this card game and hobby I was engaged in that, you know, so like to, to, to complain about that is, you know, maybe not even right uh, that, that I, that I was able to play at that level at all. Cause simply put, like there are many people that would probably love to play magic, be very good at magic that are just priced out. Totally. And I think that that's so fair, Jake. And the, the fact that to use Richard Garfield's own language, magic being a game that's bigger than the box, that's the, the cost of magic being a game that's bigger than a, than its box and all of the rich that's that, that leads to that's the downside. And that's a huge downside for a board game podcast, which we are, it's incredible that when you buy a board game outside of expansions, you own the game, you own the whole game. And, and that's all right there. And, and that's for me, that's like one of the, the coolest aspects. And I don't know how much we want to delve into the sort of like economy side of things because they're, that is like one of the biggest downsides of magic is like, it's expensive to play. Uh, it's hard to get, but there are cheaper ways to play it. Like I had a ton of fun in middle school playing with like the cards that I had. Um, but as you get older, it's hard to play when you know that a bigger decision space exists. There are ways that you can do magic on the cheap. You know, you could get together with a group of 10 friends and say, you know, we're all going to buy 10 packs and, and that's, gonna you know like the the price of of a board game a modern board game or whatever and that's gonna and we're gonna make decks out of that and we're gonna trade cards and and that's gonna be our meta game uh and and like you you one could do that but i'm again it's like i want when i think these days like when i want to play a game like i want to be playing the best version of that game and i think like for many people i would feel that way like okay well like this is this is fun and like maybe a, maybe a, an interesting way to like experience the game but like is it magic at it, at its kind of best i think that's super fair though i will say i think for a long time i felt the pressure of like i want to play magic at its best so i was going i avoided it entirely right like i thought like oh i need to play like standard or i need to have access to all these cards and as i've gotten older i started playing like limited magic a little bit more on magic arena in just the last couple months really enjoy it and i think i'm at a point in my life now where I would love to just like those friends in middle school who I still see sometimes randomly. I know if we threw together decks and played, we would have so much fun because of the core game. And I know we're running long, Jake, but I the one thing I want to discuss before we go to our closing, closing topic is I just, if you'll allow me, can we talk about bluffing in Magic? Because yeah, I think that this is the heart of the game that people don't talk about. And for me, it's where the game lives. I agree. And I mean... I mean, there, there's like a reason why I, I want to compare Magic to like Texas Hold'em. It's it's all about bluffing, really, at its core. And I, who knows if it was inspired by poker, but I mean, like this is such uh, you know, a foundational game in in our hobby of, of board games. Generally, it's like 
what else is like a, a really foundational game is like it's poker you know like totally people have been doing for hundreds of years and and there's a reason why that is so fun so exciting and so dramatic yeah and it one thing we have we've talked about wanting to talk about more on the podcast is this sort of idea of like games that live in spaces where the core game doesn't change a lot. So like we've mentioned fighting games are sort of that, right? Like you're making the similar decisions over and over again, but they remain interesting. And bluffing, I think in, in Magic, a lot of times bluffing is like, okay, you're you're signaling that you might have a certain card by leaving your mana up, or you're attacking at a time where it would be very foolish to, to yeah, launch so let's, that let's, attack. Let's, let's paint the picture. So okay. if I'm... Uh, and playing an aggressive strategy right i'm trying to rush the end game i have a two power two toughness creature uh and and brendan on yep. his side of the board he's playing the more controlling strategy and he has a four power four toughness creature i can choose to attack him with my creature in what would appear to be a complete stupid foolish mistake um because you know he can simply block with his four four creature, kill my creature, and, and there's no cost because in magic creatures' life total toughness or whatever uh, resets at the beginning of the next turn. So the reason magic is so great and works as a bluffing game is because Brendan doesn't know what I have in my hand. What I'm doing, he might still choose not to block because I'm signaling. Like I obviously know that. He could easily block. So why then am I choosing this attack if not for having some way to increase the power of my creature, you know, damage his creature in some other way, or or perhaps a combat trick that would mean that my creature survives and, and his does not. And I think it's not a mistake that magic has lasted 30 years and that that is such a quintessential aspect of its decision space and its game playing experience, right? Because it, it hits, we've, we've mentioned poker so many times and like, it hits that sort of er game feeling um, in its very sort of arcane setup. Uh, and it's just good. That's just a good space to exist in when you're playing a game. Yeah. And it doesn't I, get old. And there are a lot of things like in that, like in this bluffing space is like, those are the moments in magic that I feel like most outplays happen that make yeah. you feel smart. And it's, it's so great because like very frequently, that means like you're doing something that is like objectively wrong if you're just trying to play the game like efficiently, but it works out because of, you know, you're, you're making your opponent do something even worse. So like, for example, you know, you could choose not to play a land for the turn and hold that back in your hand as though it's a combat trick or, or some other effect. And, you know, I've seen like some just spectating, I remember being at a tournament and like saw a kid uh, who was playing a blue deck, a counter spell deck, and he was just holding onto a hand of five islands while his opponent is just sweating bullets on <laughs> the other, other side of the table. You know, I'm sure that kid still lost the game because like at, at a certain point, like it's not going to happen. But like just that magic allows you to to do these things that are that are, you know, to theoretically wrong like it's it's wrong to attack with this creature just like it's wrong to raise your your bet when i have a two two seven offsuit in my hand but in, in both cases like very frequently that bluff can can pay off big 
And to break down that example for people who haven't played Magic, the re- the reason why holding five islands, which is just mana, feels so scary, is like every card in your opponent's hand is an opportunity to do something. And when you're sitting across from a blue deck with five cards, all you're thinking is, oh my god, they're going to negate the next five things I try to do. And it, it's, it's and, and it'll it's change your it'll change your behavior too. You're yep. like, okay, I can't play this card I really want to play because surely they have at least one counter spell. So I'm going to do something way less optimal theoretically giving the other player a chance to uh, start drawing into some effects and and potentially come back and win the game, which they certainly would be out of if the other person said, nope, they're just bluffing. I'm just going to jam my win condition right now. Totally. So, and I feel like that is really vital to the decision space. So to, to not, you know, cast off our lens and have this slip into review it, one thing that's magic about magic is that it makes the decision space, you you said it so perfectly, Jake, Magic's a game that's about so much more than efficiency, and that makes Magic a game that's about being human. Uh, and for me, the fact that Magic offers the players a decision space that lets them express themselves in these ways is what makes it uh, this sort of lasting game that's casting this long shadow. Totally. And, and I, I, I do want to say, like, I don't want my uh, comments and turbulence to... to I don't want anyone to think that means I think it's not like well suited as a competitive game, you know, like, like there, there are, there's tons of variants in the game, but like, as long as you accept that, uh, you know, as a, a player that you're not going to win, you know, a hundred percent of the time that like, if I play the best, if I'm the best player in the world, I'm, I might win 55, 60% of my games. Um, as as a top level player against other top competition, which I think is close to what the best players in in the world on the Magic Pro Tour do win, um, like as and 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 that will ultimately mean I have a great career. I win tournaments, uh, but but I'll also lose a lot of games to people not as good as me. Like that is great, you know. And that's the same way, same thing in poker, right? The Phil Ivies of the world don't win every major tournament. A lot of times some some random Joe can can show up, get lucky and, and win. And this, the same is true in Magic. And I think that's like a wonderful thing. It's just not, I think, what a lot of people are are looking for if you're a board game enthusiast who's like wanting to ha- have a great experience with some friends on a, a Saturday night. Totally. It, it can be. You just have to be bought into that idea. Yep, Definitely. Before we close up, for everyone who's played Magic in the past, I think it'd be valuable for them for us to give two card stories, just really quickly, two cards that sort of shaped your experience of the game. Do you want to go that, first? That sounds great. Um, can we go like back? You, and, me, you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We'll take Magic turns. Okay, we'll take that. Perfect. Um, okay, so I've always been, and this is honestly, the I think the reason for this is because of financial reasons like i've always been a primarily red player uh the red aggressive archetype uh is is almost always a viable strategy in any format and uh people call the deck red deck wins and it's just about 20 it's great because it's only red cards so you only need mountains you have no benefit of playing with like the 20 and 30 and up to $500 special lands. Um, And, and so uh, yeah, right. So it's basically comments and you're just trying to use the most aggressive cards possible to win before your opponent gets any opportunity to do anything. And 
uh, in in older formats, a card that fuel that allows this to be viable is a card called Blood Moon, and it's a three casting cost enchantment that says all non basic lands are mountains. And so this is a card we we didn't even mention that in in Magic you can have a sideboard of cards. Uh, so this is a card that's typically in in the sideboard of red decks. Uh, in in formats where Blood Moon is is allowed, and what that means is very frequently uh, you bring it in in games two and three, and on, on the third turn of the game you can put down an enchantment that means all that just turns in a very literal way all of your opponents like two thousand dollars worth of lands into your one cent mountains uh and and it means they can't play their cards they can't do anything they want to do and it can be almost like a guaranteed win uh that that can race your 20 or 60 dollar deck past the finish line as a kid so this story makes me so happy because as a kid i i opened a blood moon actually and i was like what is this for i don't i don't understand this at all i was like this is the dumbest card i've ever seen like i'm so bad that my rare is a blood moon and I think that it really speaks to the power of playing magic in different ways that like one of your cards because of the way that you were playing magic is blood moon. That makes me so happy. And obviously now like I I know the story of blood moon and like why it's good, but like that's, that's so cool. So my card, my first one, I'm also going to tell you my second one is going to be a combo. So I'm cheating and I'm doing two cards for the second one. But my first card is a card called control magic. Control magic is a blue card. Uh, It costs two of any color of mana and then two islands Uh, And it says, you control Enchanted Permanent. And Control Magic uh, sauntered onto the scene of my middle school magic uh, one day, where I think I was in the end of my seventh grade year, and just threw itself on the table. And we saw this card because one of my friends, Alex, had unearthed a collection of cards uh, from his older brother. Uh, And he played Control Magic, and he was like, I'm taking your Shivan Dragon. And I was like, no. That is that is not how the card works, Alex. Like that is cheating. There's no way. But that is how control magic works. You literally take control of someone else's card. Um, and we we just we didn't fully know the rules, and it felt so powerful to me. But it was a, a perfect example about how the game was so much bigger than we could even imagine. Eventually, we accepted that yes, that is exactly what control magic did. It was called control magic. You took control of someone else's card. Um, but in the moment, it just felt so dastardly. And I I loved the fact that. Uh, that card's just really stuck with me. And it's an example of how magic is a game that there's always something else the design will do to surprise you. Totally. I think, um, yeah, that's 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 awesome. Um, I think <laughs> I, my second card, I'm just like shuffling through magic cards in my mind. I don't want to pick another red card, but like I would love to pick like Goblin Pile Driver or, <laughs> or Lightning Bolt. Um, uh, those are some really classics. good ones. Some classics. But I think the card that I want to highlight um just because when i first learned about this card it just um, made me think like it's like what the heck is this like this game is so crazy and that card is battle of wits are you familiar with battle of wits i am familiar with battle of wits oh my god okay <laughs> so i think this just highlights like just what a wild and insane uh game magic is uh, of a game of exception so magic you know of course it's this epic game of two dueling mages where you're trying to fight to get your opponent's life total down to zero from 20 uh and battle wit says no magic's not a game about that at all magic is a game of me doing totally random things and trying to just 
uh, <laughs> somehow get lucky and, and find a win. So basically what Mad- what Battlewitz says is, I hope I'm getting this right. I think it says if you have 250 cards in your deck at the start of your turn, you win the game. 200. 200 Two- or more. If you have 200 or more cards in your deck, you win the game. So it completely changes the win condition, but it does so much more than that because it also changes like fundamentally like everything about how you would build a deck. Like, uh, you know, decks, <laughs> decks, you always use the minimum number of allowed cards because you, you can go more, but literally it's unheard of. Nobody would ever do that because you only want to use the 60 best cards. Uh, but, but Balowitz says, Nope, you're going to use 200. You're going to find all kinds of crazy things like nobody else is doing. And, you know, you're going to get cards that search your deck for things, cards that help you draw cards, uh, cards that help keep you alive. So, you know, you can't just use 200. You have to play like 220 or 250 because, you know, if you draw a battle of wits and it's, you know, you don't have that many cards in your deck at that time, well, that's no good. So it's it's just a hilarious card and it actually can be like a viable winning strategy and has been in, in various metas throughout magic history i've played uh i've never had a battle with sex myself but like there have been people that i've played with a lot that would that would break them out at, at tournaments or or fun casual events and, and like just shuffle this like massive stack of cards and i just think like that's just one of the joyous things about about magic is like you know, everything that magic is like, sometimes it's not even about that at all. <laughs> so the first time I can't, I'm so happy you just told a battle with story, Jake. The first time I went, convinced my friends to go to a store. I talked about this last episode, competitive on the competitive episode to go play magic. We played draft a couple of times and I convinced them, no, we got to go play standard. And it was during odyssey block, the, the block that battle of wits came out. I, I forgot this memory entirely until you mentioned this. And I sat down to my first round match. I was like, I love magic. Like my deck's so good. Like I got all the cards right from the right sets. Like this is going to be great. And I sit down and this guy across from me pulls out a stack of cards. And I was like, that is a really big deck. And he sets it down on the table. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to be this guy. He's playing with many too many cards. Then he reaches down into his backpack and he pulls down a second stack of exactly <laughs> the equal size cards. And then I look, I'm like, mouth agog looking across the table i'm like what is going on and he reaches down and he pulls a third stack and he goes these are part of my 300 card battle of wit stack i just want you to know i'm going to beat you and i was like what is going on and we start playing and i i lose this game he beats me with battle of wits and at the end basically he he gets it out and he goes would you like me to count my cards or do you accept defeat? And I was like, <laughs> I accept defeat. I accept defeat. I just want to go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was so, yeah, magic's, magic's crazy. That's, I love that about magic. That's like a, like, I feel like the, this is a sidebar and I'm going to keep it so short, but like Yu-Gi-Oh got developed as like a, the, the world of card games is so wild and like you never know what ex- you, to expect. And I feel like it was based off experiences like that where like, what is going on even in this experience? Okay. My final cards. I, young budding game designer, love card games. I'm putting combos together, thinking through things in the onslaught block. Uh, or this card called Kamal Fist of Krosa was released. I love this character, Kamal. He'd previously been a red card and he transitioned to green. Green, one of my favorite colors. So I was like, I have to make this card work. On it, it says you can pay one green mana and turn a land into a 1-1 creature that is still a land. 
that's pretty cool. This could work. Uh, it has another ability that lets you buff creature, buff creatures. So that's a nice combo. Grow your lands. But then I was reading through all my cards one of those days after school and saw the card Tremor. Tremor is a red card that says deal one damage to every creature in play. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can make all of my friends' lands 1-1 creatures and destroy them all at once with Tremor? And this is how I learned, with great power comes great responsibility. Because no one wanted to play me after they played this deck like one time. He's like, this isn't fun. Why did you do this? Like, I literally, by like turn five, would make all of my friends' lands out into into one ones destroy them with tremor and then next turn they could play one land oh you have one land it's turn six um and it was just a, i think it was one of my earliest moments of like in game design in deck building you have it's very important that you ensure other players fun and we weren't playing in a super competitive environment and that's why i say that also everyone refused to play and i had to build a, a new deck the next time but it was like the most fun combo ever i loved it when i got to do it that's so awesome yeah i mean that's funny too because it's like another way of like yeah like magic le- you can you can attack and pick apart any part of the game right you can attack somebody's lands like like the yeah. lands themselves like that's a totally viable strategy and and it just points to the fact that like a lot of the best and most iconic decks in magic history uh are, are doing that they're just like attacking the game in some interesting and weird way and very frequently non-interactive <laughs> or fun way but but yeah i mean it's a fun game and i discovered uh is a really popular youtube channel like i think remy mtg when we were prepping for this uh, and i was just doing some magic research and it's, he does all these like fun songs about magic and like like parodies of other songs and like just the fact that like that can exist for magic and like ever, so many people can like share like these inside jokes about the game. And, and like, as I was like watching these videos and like seeing a lot of these, I'm so glad you asked about the cards. Like, cause he's like talks about random cards that are like unlocking memories, like things I haven't thought about in so long. Like, Oh yeah. Solemn simulacrum. Like that was this, you know, crazy, like dark steel card. That was like so good. And, you know, just did everything. And like, you know, I'll be like, all of a sudden I'm just like, you know, back there at that Friday night, you know, smelly Friday night magic. And, um, and yeah, so like, you know, it'll always be an important game for me. It's not always the game I want to play the most right now. It's not one I would recommend relate to anyone. But if somebody's like, I'm interested in magic, like, should I go forth? <laughs> like, yeah, with my blessing, like, you, and have the best time ever. Enter the plane, right? Or planes? Totally. I there's so much we could go into. I th- you just succinctly summed it up so well. And obviously, there's many hundreds of podcasts develop, devoted to all of Magic the Gathering. But I too sort of echo Jake's sentiment. If you in any way, show, or form, have been like, this does sound kind of interesting. Maybe just look at like ways I can play casually at home and just try playing the game that way. It's many, many games. And I will say recently, the limited I've been playing in Kaldheim, so fun. It's been such a good game. Um, but with that, I think that is pretty succinct for a game that spans 30 years almost. And uh, do you have any closing, closing, closing thoughts on Magic Jake? Or should we jump into the the adios okay here's what i'll say like a lot of these games that we are talking about on this podcast even the games we really like in in a year or two years like are we gonna be playing them i hope so but like would i be shocked if like 
underwater cities like a game i gave a 9.5 on this very podcast is 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 you know two three years down the line if it's like kind of an afterthought if it's something i haven't touched in a while or thought about in a while like that's very plausible yeah but like like i just feel like magic is going to be around forever like i could be you know it'll be 10 years from now and, and if a buddy's like hey do you want to come over and do a little booster draft and i'll be like you know it man i'll bring a six bag like let's have the best time ever and like so i just like i feel like it's always going to be a part of my life in some small way even if i'm not actively playing it and it's you know if i ever have kids like they're gonna have a, a huge trough of random unsorted magic cards to dig through one day and i think that will be wonderful that sums it up perfectly the first 30 years of magic were pretty cool i bet the next 30 are going to be pretty sweet too but if you are part of the, the pre-planners, the, the group of listeners who likes to play along with us uh, and join in on the fun, uh, s- next week, join our, our Roll and Write Dark Ritual as we jump into Welcome to, one of the most celebrated uh, Roll and Write games out there. And if you're looking to play it from home and you don't have a copy, uh, Welcome to actually a game you can play by yourself, but you can also play it on Board Game Arena. Uh, so take a look there. I think the implementation's pretty good, Jake. We'll, we'll talk about it next we'll week. We'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> Besides that, thank you so much for listening. You made it so far in the podcast. Follow us. Talk to us. Yell at us on at on Twitter, at Decision Spa. Uh, a few folks have been engaging with us there. It's so cool. Uh, and someone actually told us that they bought Underwater Cities after listening to our uh, podcast on it, which is amazing. That's we so cool. first game. <laughs> so amazing. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, we we have a blog on Board Game Geek now where we are posting uh, every new episode. So you can engage with it there. Whenever we do a game-based episode, we always post on the forums. Not happening for Magic. Don't look for it. You're not going to find it. I don't even know where to post it. Uh, and as a reminder, check the show notes for our new Discord. Come yeah. come talk to us. Let us know. You your can thoughts. flame us there too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah. yeah I guess with that behold the multiverse and uh, I hope you have an awesome week yeah see you next week you are now exiting the decision space thanks for listening please take care and enjoy the rest of your game mm-hmm.